0: Hello everybody and welcome to another exciting episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast here with me, your host, Colton Geschwantner. First and foremost, before we kick things off, I want to go ahead and mention that this podcast is a fan and listener supported podcast. We couldn't do this without you guys. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I ask that you please consider hitting the follow or subscribe button, and if you enjoy what you hear, please consider sharing it with your friends or on your social media, because that helps us out so, so, so very much in reaching more people. Alright, let's kick off this episode!
1: Music, athletics, arts, and entertainment... The Desert Tiger Podcast with Colton Geschwadner.
0: And just like you heard, this is the DTP, the show where we like to, every single week on Thursday, get into the inspiration, the motivation, the passion, the story, and the glory, the nitty and the gritty behind some of the hottest rising and some of the most storied musicians, authors, artists, athletes, and all of that like, and we package it up to you with a nice and pretty bow. This week on the show, I have all five, that's right, all five members of the band, The Face Plants. And we are going to get into the entire history of the band, starting off with where they met in high school. For Three of the members, of course, that's right. We're going back a while, back to 2012. I mean, I know that's not a while for some of you, But I mean, in terms of artistry and creating, that can can be quite some time, and we're going to get into the story behind their first EP and how after that, they have been forming a new sound, a new idea, an entirely new force behind them, and the only name that they felt truly captivated, that sound was Animalistic. Animalistic. That's right, we're going to speak to the Face Plants today all about their brand new album Animalistic and what it means to all of them, not only as musicians and artists, but also how it has captured the growth of the members of this band over the last six years of creating not only this idea but forming the passion that they have together to create this unique sound and do what they feel is truly trailblazing. Discovering one's identity is never something that comes easily, and finding your voice isn't something that happens overnight. It cannot be faked or fabricated, forced or fought. It comes in times when you least expect. It's formed in the struggle in times of desperation and sacrifice, glory and success. And yes, I stole that right from the lining of Animalistic itself because it is beautiful. So before we get into this interview with all of the members of Animalistic and I let them tell you themselves what this album truly means to them and how they have discovered who they are inside, I'm going to let you listen to one of the tracks off of the brand new album Animalistic. And if you are somebody who listens to Spotify, You can also find this specific song on Desert Tiger's Canadian Rock and Roll playlist. This is an amazing track off of this album. I hope you guys enjoy it just as much as I do. This is Who I Am Inside. Do you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves and what you do in the band,
2: please? Yeah. My name's Paddy and I
0: play
3: the drums. My name's Dan and I am the lead singer. I am Garrett and I play guitar.
4: I'm Graham and I play the keys. I'm Chris and I'm the bass player.
0: Fantastic! We got the entire group the here whole that band? right? Yeah.
4: And we have a dog.
0: And we got Tucker along like for the good. ride as
3: well. Of That's course, yeah. he's moral support.
0: All right. So how did The face plants end up coming together. Were you guys in other bands beforehand? Like, how did?
3: Yeah, so Garrett and I, Garrett, guitar player, and I, started jamming. What I moved from Winnipeg to Vancouver. Okay. When I was like eleven, and so so Garrett and I were just in the same neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Still live in the same neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And we just started. We started hanging out, skateboarding together, and we're like. You know, I play bass, you play guitar, let's start jamming. So we just did, like... It all started with just playing cover tunes of our favorite bands, just like Green Day, the Offspring Ramones and stuff. And so that kind of grew into us booking our own kind of local shows, and that was our first taste of kind of independence in the music scene. Yeah. And um, this was in the suburbs of Vancouver. So it really... Playing those shows, original original shows, when we were like 15 and 16, really taught us not only independence, but almost how to four-wall, it's called like four-walling it in the sense of like how to put on a show Yeah, and engage an audience, not at a real venue, because the first venues that we played weren't
5: clubs. The like community centers. They were,
3: yeah, just little, ice, there was like a little, there's like a community center at an ice rink. Those were our first shows. Mm-hmm. And so... We obviously went to high school to get that. Back then, it was like middle school. We went to high school, went to all the music programs, fell in love even deeper with music, continued to jam. We got Graham along um, back in high school. He was playing keys, brought him along. And uh, it kind of just developed from there. And so Chris and Patty have been in the band now for around three, four years, I'd say. Right, guys? Yeah. And uh, we just released our debut LP last
5: month. And okay. so it's exciting times for us, Real yeah. exciting time. And so
3: it's been an ever evolving project, the face plans, but, uh, it's, uh, we're comfortable with, you know, really who we are in the songs that we've released at this point.
0: It's okay. taken this
5: long. Yeah. We're very proud
3: of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Man. It's
0: if you've put in this much time into it, it means that you've really put a lot into crafting. Absolutely, yeah.
3: man. And like it, along the way. Along the way, we've really broadened our skill set too, right? So not only, especially nowadays, man, it's like not just about playing your instrument. It's like we're on a tour right now, right? So we're in, mm-hmm. obviously in Kamloops. is the first slot of the tour. We booked this whole thing ourselves. Garrett booked this, Yeah. You know, and we we record our own music and direct our own videos and stuff like that. And, you know, I think that's one of the most really, you know, the most important thing, I think, a, a band or an artist or somebody creative should really you know, take in is to understand that you need patience. You know, it was funny. Graham brought this up to our attention the other day or earlier today that he saw an old, an old poster of uh, oh, a yeah. local show.
5: A uh, like, local Vancouver show for us. Yeah. yeah. A local Vancouver hmm.
3: show. And it was from like 2012. Hmm. And every, and we were friends and still are friends with all the bands that were on that bill. Mm-hmm. And we used to be a part of like all those bands back then were a part of this Vancouver scene. And it was funny, we look, Graham looked at that poster and said, you know, none of those bands are together anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think whether it has to do with patience for those bands or not, I just know that that's a lot of, uh, that's a big detriment to a lot of creative people, I think. Not understanding how long it may take and and, and understanding that everybody's journey is different. So here we are.
0: It's very true because you come up with an idea and in your mind you feel like you should be able to get it out and that it should be exploding within the world right right away, but a lot of people don't understand the actual work that goes into getting all of these things done. Even just the aspects of booking your own tour, Mm -hmm. that alone of trying to make sure that you've got the guarantees, the dates, if you're trying to apply for... Government funding to help with it. You need everything like in line. Setting up the media
5: during the day to promote it. Exactly. Ads and yeah, it's it's just just lining up your own schedule, making
0: sure that you're everywhere on time, making sure that you guys are actually have the time to eat food that's efficient and sustaining yes. so that you aren't just crashing on the road yeah, eating man. terrible, terrible cheap food. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> we're still working on which that which one. Which we do. <laughs> yeah. so well, I mean, it's it's
1: hard to avoid. Absolutely. absolutely. When
2: when you The thing we notice is, it's really funny, it doesn't matter where we are in Canada, because we travel a lot of times, 75% of our traveling is through the middle of the night to get mm-hmm. to our next destination, and uh, it never fails no matter what city we pull into, there's Always a Boston pizza, open. So we eat a lot of Boston pizza on the road. Yeah, subway hit us up. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Sponsorship for the tour. That's right. Right. (laughs) Subway Boston (laughs) pizza. Actually, this this tour we we played this. We played this actually this really great gig on Canada Day, um, Surrey, which is a suburb of Vancouver, also. Yeah. And uh, just so happened that Tim Hortons was the sponsor of the event or the stage. So when we got our money for the gig, they gave us a $250 Tim Hortons card. Oh, So, th- so that's our breakfast. So that's what we had for breakfast this morning. That's the <laughs> breakfast for the next eight days, I guess. So that's just kind of funny. I mean, that's
0: a pretty good tour fund for breakfast. <laughs> as long as we can budget it out
2: for we'll, we'll have Tim Hortons for breakfast. Yep, yeah. exactly.
0: So yeah. talking about back to 2012, were you guys named the face plants we were
3: yeah we were um played different you know uh, back then 2012 that's when we released uh, like our first ep yeah um and we've i like to say that animalistic our debut lp that we released last month now available everywhere Mm -hmm. um you know that is that is i'd say our first real body of work and you know a body work that we're extremely proud of and we look back on that first ep that was like our first kind of body of work and we were so young, you know, like obviously that was our first time in studio and mm-hmm. working with a producer and booking our tours and, and stuff like getting our feet wet and really d- developing a live show and all of these kind of things. So it was important to put out that EP because it like, it got us to develop to the writers that we are today. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, we were called, that was under the face plants. That was like the, kind of the first go at recording anything under that name. Mm. Okay. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm.
0: So, did you guys have any touring under your belt before the recording experience, or did you guys hit the studio first? No, uh,
5: it was studio first. I think I think we ended up touring off of that record, though, probably three times. We kind of did the first ones just from Vancouver to Winnipeg Yeah, a couple times. Uh, actually, I think we only did Vancouver to Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't know, only Vancouver That's to that. Winnipeg, I believe, <laughs> off of that CD, and that was... Again, that was kind of us learning, okay, how do we book a show, you know, like, like mm-hmm. that first tour, there was a lot of shows where there was only five people there, mm-hmm. and it was the opening band, <laughs> you know, mean? <everybody laughs> like, but that's, everybody goes through that, you hear stories about that all the time, and mm-hmm. just like our EP, you know, we're not uh, super proud of it now, but it's an essential piece of where we are now, mm-hmm. and so is those crappy tours, I guess you could say, or our first tours. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, yeah. it's essential building blocks, and it's part of that... Process of becoming an actual band that knows what you're doing. You Mm -hmm. have to actually go out there and fail to learn
3: how to succeed. Sometimes, absolutely. And you know, it's like, you 2018 has been our, I would say, most successful year today, most exciting year Mm -hmm. today. You know, the things that we've been able to accomplish this year alone really outweigh anything we've ever done in the past. And going back to the thing about (laughs) patience, it's like I. I can't imagine, you know, there's a a lot of people I think give up or say goodbye to what they want to do right before I feel something great happens. And it's just like, I, I can just some, every time I, like I have nightmares sometime being like, what if we, you know, what if we didn't have the patience? And like, Mm -hmm. what if we put out that EP, went on tour and we're like, you know, there's five people here, forget this and just gave up. And it's just like, we wouldn't be able to enjoy the fruits of our labor in 2018. If we, if we, Kind of said goodbye back then and so you know we're really really excited about this year especially mm-hmm. with the album release now Okay. And and this tour is just going to be the best thing that's really uh, we've ever done. Mm-hmm. So
0: so between that EP yeah. and this album, did you guys just have a couple singles in between? Did you release any other EPs as well, or uh, we had sort of that? Yeah, we
5: had a song called "Why," which was kind of a transition period for us. Yeah, that was kind of the song that was going from the old EP to the kind of the new song, the okay. new sound. Sorry. Uh, then we actually released uh, a couple songs as uh, singles: "Devil in a White Dress," mm-hmm. "Unholy." Then we just released uh, "The World I Know" right before the record drop. And "Devil" or "Devil and Unholy" are on our LP. Yes. So they're just released a single. I guess you could say that was in between, but it was really "Devil" was the first look at like, oh, there's a change here. Like mm-hmm. this is totally different now. Okay. Oh, sorry. Who I am inside also.
3: Yeah. <sighs> How did you hear about us?
0: Um. I've heard about you guys toured. I used to live in Regina, and you guys have toured through quite a few times. And like my friend Bradley Cole has always been like, "Oh, these guys are fantastic!" Shout out to Bradley prep them so it was just through that and then like what i had heard that like some of the new tracks and cool. they're fantastic thank you awesome so thank, you. thank you so much as for soon us. as i heard that you guys were coming through for the music in the park i was like i need the email yes are you coming to the show tonight i hope so yeah <laughs> <laughs> i better be yeah. in the van, but <laughs> it's yeah, only, a, of the short, van, we'll it's only a short walk down so yeah, yeah. Well, i'm yeah. pretty excited for that so we are too For the EP, like everyone says that your first album is sort of like capturing your lives before that moment, but for this album, it's sort of the time in between the albums, and that's why a lot of bands have problems with their second EP or their album, is they seem to find a lot less inspiration. Sure. You guys had a lot of time in between this EP and this album to garner a lot of inspiration and it sounds like there's a lot of soul and message in the album. Yeah. So tell me about that.
3: Yeah, so you, yeah, you obviously hear the cliche, the cliche thing about like oh the the band's first album is their best. Yeah, because they've had all their life to write it or whatever. Yes. You know, but I think it's it, there's two things. Like one, I like to think now, especially with the 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 learning process of animalistic, I like to from here on out, I would like to look at every project that we release an ep album as like our debut like i i know i never want to write animalistic 2.0 you know i want to completely go to different places with it lyrically story-wise the way it sounds the way mm-hmm. we present ourselves in the branding and the reason i want to do that is because that is how i function and feel most satisfied as a, as a creative and as a songwriter me personally it's like i don't i'm the songs that animalistic and the songs that I write, I am not trying to chase radio, you know? I'm not trying to be like, if, a if, trend if, or anything. if this doesn't hit, then then I might as well just try and replicate that and just try and follow what's popular. That, I mean, God bless all the people that do that because that's great. That's fantastic. But that's, that's for me and for us, I feel that doesn't satisfy our craving to be better and to broaden our skill set as creatives. You know, so I I couldn't be more proud of Animalistic. And I look at that as as our debut because we really dived into who we were, you know, as as songwriters and as performers and things like that, you know. So the process, you're asking about the process in between, you know, so we released that EP. We went on tour a bunch of times and really understood and learned what it's like to be a a band, broadened our skill set and really understood, you know, to wear and to really love all hats like booking tours and applying for grants and directing videos and recording all that kind of stuff it's all stuff you have to obviously have in your wheelhouse and when we came back from those tours i felt like we didn't really i did not really know as the main songwriter how to really write a song i don't know what kind of songwriter i was so back in the ep i felt that you know you any band on the radio would sound good writing these songs so therefore i'm going to try and emulate that and you know that was that was my process back then. Mm-hmm. That was me trying to find my way. Yeah. And so when we got back from those tours, I really had to dive in deep, and I did that by like kind of writing in a journal, and just uh, nothing about nothing really in particular, just about my day and stuff like that. But it was like it wasn't until I turned to those journals and I was like, these are actually songs. And I learned that by through that process, I was an introspective writer, and I felt most comfortable creatively talking about my experiences just in life. And then I was like, wow, there's really something here. I'm really connecting to these songs like I have never connected to the stuff I've written previously. Mm-hmm. And that means that's, that you have something special. And, you know, I learned that I was an introspective writer. I learned that I could really relate to the music. The guys could too, obviously. And um, it, it grew from it grew from there. You know, we put a name to it, Animalistic, and however cliche it seems, I feel that to be animalistic, uh, you know that that word is to be an independent and to be a to be a fighter and a, and a believer and a dreamer and somebody that is independent. And um, I feel that all these songs, you know, that one word really captures all the all the feelings and vibes of of what these songs are about. Mm-hmm. And um, next time we'll be back talking about our next debut album. So. <laughs> You know that's that's kind of the story between our EP to Animalistic and where we are now.
0: Okay. Yeah. So for crafting some of those lyrics, like yeah. once you realize that you're an, inst- like, introspective yeah. writer. Yeah. So do you go back and you view your life as a whole from the past, or did you start writing from like your experiences forward as you were learning who you were as an individual?
3: Yeah, I, I would say. kind of um all the feelings that all the feels uh that i had kind of just in just in that moment you know just so you know the date the first song on the record i guess the second song after we have this beautiful piano intro written by the wonderful graham here uh the first song is called animal and you know that that was a that was a literally an entry about leaving home and going on tour and so i it started you know obviously i crafted the lyrics to make it more into a song but there was it was in that song i really found you know something really honest and so that was current in the moment that wasn't really from the past mm-hmm. and so a lot of those journal entries are about things that we're facing now as as young creative individuals trying to figure this whole thing out and you know and i think a lot of people in their 20s and a lot of young people can really relate to these things and guess what it's like it really the response has been bombastic. You know, we're really seeing like on our YouTube, like on our YouTube, like people really relating in paragraph form and to see somebody take the time and write a paragraph about like how they relate to it. Mm -hmm. It's like, it still hasn't sunken in, in in a sense. It's like almost brings, wants to bring you to to tears because it's like, this is me being so honest in a song. And this is you (coughs) reciprocating that honesty back to us. It's amazing, man. Mm -hmm. It's, It's incredible. So
0: no, especially in today's social media age where some people have a lot lesser of an attention span right. than mm-hmm. they may have had for the music industry before, to know that they're actually investing in that enough to not only take their own feeling from the song apart from what you're feeling and to actually like take that and grow from it and experience it. But to also, like, take it into
3: words and present it to you, is mm-hmm. like, that means that, like, you actually did something good. It's amazing, man. And, and we owe it all, you know, to our fans. We love our fans. And we love connecting with them on a daily basis. You know, I, I, the two most important assets, I say, you know, are time and access. And, I, you know, we, we give our fans both. We make sure we give our fans both. Access being, you know, access into our day-to-day lives. That's why I carry around this camera here, documenting our days. Mm-hmm. And time by replying to every comment and replying yes. to every DM. And to, to take the time to, you know, no matter if we have... To, to do our best, no matter if we get like 50 tweets a day to reply to those. Yes. Obviously, there's slow there's slow days where we can't get to, back to everybody, but we do make an effort to give our fans both access and time. And it's just like we, we owe it all to them because we're building this community Mm -hmm. it feels like and you know our songs aren't on the radio but we just played you know a sold-out show for our hometown show and there's a group the whole crowd was singing our song and that was like it was a surreal moment for us to be like wow we're really hitting on something special here and these people are these people are amazing Mm -hmm. and so we do we we owe it all to the people that support us and love us we love them too yes very much because to know
0: that you don't have to take that traditional route of radio and It's, as was mentioned earlier, where the following of trends, it's, you can follow a trend and maybe the radio isn't going to be happy with you for not doing that because it doesn't fit the scheme or the style that they're trying to do, but... How do you trailblaze? How do you open new doors? How do you push forward new music if you're constantly trying to follow something else? Yeah,
5: there there has to be bands that do that. Like the, the, probably the biggest biggest example lately was Twenty One Pilots, right? Yes. Then before that, there was Macklemore and the Heist. Then back in the day when we were growing up, it was you know like a Lincoln Park Hybrid Theory. Like these are all bands that didn't fit a format and they made their own format and everybody went to that because they mm-hmm. saw the honesty It's That cult mentality. Exactly. That no, exactly. It's, you have
0: to trailblaze your own path. Yeah. You can chase that dollar, but eventually it's, when are you doing things for yourself? When are you actually expressing
5: who you are as an individual? Mm-hmm. And people see that, you know, like, and that's probably why we have for, even though we're not on the radio and we don't have the biggest fan base yet, yet, yet. um, they're very dedicated, you know, like Dan was saying, they do the paragraphs, like, You know, it's almost like a small cult following, you know what I mean? And Because people can tell that we we actually care. Like, Mm -hmm. we mean it. We're not just releasing a song and throwing it out to the world and say, hope it does well. No, there's like five other things that are connected to this, and there's a music video, and that music video connects to that, and there's a meaning with a three-line logo, and like, there's a whole story to it. And and Mm -hmm. people get that, because people show that you really care, and they're going to really care and respond to that. Absolutely.
3: And this is the only way, like... I can I can speak up behalf of myself like this is the only way I'd like to do it. Like the only way that I feel creatively satisfied doing it this way, you know writing songs that are first meaningful to us and then connecting with our fans through technology that 2018 has presented us and then mm. to see the reaction by the fans and then adjust accordingly based on their reaction. And like that is the only way I want to do it or I don't want to do it at all yeah and so with with our stuff you know so we're already stewing on the next project and and taking it to a a place that's completely different than animalistic and that is like one of the most exciting things ever Mm -hmm. and just coming up with the new like i think uh, for myself i like to think of like no matter if it's a a music video or an album Mm -hmm. people ask me about like what's your songwriting process like nowadays a, a lot of the time it's I like to think I'll, I'll use an example with a song but it, it's it translates to everything I kind of do whether it's you know music videos or artwork or anything like that when it comes to songs I like to almost think of the like the end what I want it to sound like like what what the end goal is what what if I'm hearing it in my headphones what would it sound like with the title like I've or, I have already written we've already like already written, we have the title and the written, the like the track names of the next album. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, I like to work backwards and fill in those blanks. Like yes. that's extremely exciting for me. Mm-hmm. And so we, I guess the, 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 overlying theme here is like, we find joy and in, in we love every part of the process. And this mm-hmm. is the only way I feel that we can do it. That works for us.
0: So you guys set the bar first and then you understand what you're trying to work for, and then, of course, you try and sort of it.
5: That's right. <clears> so <throat> so uh, just what you said there, I think that's really important. I think that's something that we're really figuring out. Um, you could probably tell the story a bit better than I can, but uh, we were in New York. Uh, we ended up writing a theme song for a serious satellite radio show called The Jim and Sam Show. Uh, so um, Yes, you know, I listen to
0: Sam Roberts a lot, so yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nice. So so Mm -hmm.
5: So anyway, so our theme song is played every morning And uh, that came off of a whim of Daniel being a big fan of them And saying, you know, what type of value can we add to them? Like, it's a pretty outrageous goal You know what I mean? So, like, we ended up getting the theme song Daniel ended up talking to them on the air Got them to listen to it, and they loved it And we've been on the air three times there We've been to New York already three times this year Doing interviews and doing a live performance with them Where they did a live on Caroline's on Broadway um, show Which was awesome Um, but like when we were going to New York the first time, uh, Daniel kind of mentioned and we were coming off the plane and said, what would be, we're just kind of talking about like, what would be something crazy that we can do? What do you do in New York? Mm -hmm. And we would think, okay, well, Times Square, billboards. How cool would it be to be on a billboard? Yeah. Okay. That's a crazy goal, but now let's reverse engineer it. Yeah. So who owns the billboards? Let's (laughs) find out who their marketing departments are. Let's fire off emails. What value can we give to them? so it's a trade Z's, yes, then uh, then we ended up getting it. And obviously we can expand on that a little bit more, but like, we had a conversation the, the other day, I'm not gonna really go into detail about it because it's about the future, but we kind of yeah. made this big goal. And I was like, we can't do that, man. Like, are you serious? Like, we're not at that level. Like, sure, we're growing, but we're not at that level. Then if you take a step back a lot of time, break it down, give it some serious thought, all of a sudden these goals, when you turn that one big goal into 10 steps, mm-hmm. It's way more achievable. Oh, without a it, doubt. It's,
6: yeah. It's very daunting to approach everything that way. I think that every time we release something, we put so much care and attention to detail in it that it's exactly that, is that you set the bar here, and then you seek to it's like surpass it every single time. And then every time we put something out, I always feel, oh my God, we've accidentally peaked. You know, like, oh no, we put too much into it. And then we keep soaring past it further and further. And that's literally the only way is you have to convince yourself that you haven't. And you need to keep moving up, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's how we've made it this far. And I, I you know, like we put out a single and I go, oh, okay, that was huge. How can we put out the next thing? And then we just have to just do it. There's, there's no other way around it. You can't settle for being less than what you've already become. Mm-hmm.
5: So Yeah, that is true. That is like we never want to, you know, go down. I know that sounds like funny, but like it's true. Like we always want to one-up ourselves with this new record, we want to make it double as good as Animalistic. We want to be playing double, uh, you know, have it, or double the amount of people at our shows. We want to do the bigger tour. We want to go down to the states, like, all this stuff is very possible. Yeah. It's just like it's a little hard work and some smarts behind it. It's, and, we're very capable you, of doing. It for you know, for sure.
6: I was I was on the phone with with Daniel the other day, and I was saying, you know, I'm listening to the record today, and I'm listening to it, and I'm going, "This is awesome! Like, this is a great record. We we put so much into this, but I can hear." the opportunity for growth in it the record itself is telling me we can get bigger than this we can get better than this and it's still something we can all be proud of and i think that's just our our attitude in general is it like everything we do just feeds opportunity to ourselves
5: well put very well put
3: <laughs> and i think a, a a big um a big tell or you know a big portion of why we stayed together so long in our quote unquote success is because we understand, you know, at least, and I understand that it's 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 a detriment to creativity and to our journey to compare ourselves to anybody else. And so, you know, it would be easy to, to be to beat yourself up to look at another band that's similar to us, and they look at I look at them and be like, oh, sh-, you know, they have like three albums out, and like look where they are. It's that that there's no good in that at uh-huh. all. And so, you know, I think. No, no matter what, whether whether it's a you're podcasting or, you know, where if you're a band or whatever it is, to to understand that you're in your own lane and that there's room for everybody, yes. especially now, man. Like, mm-hmm. like, Garrett brought up like the radio. You know, back in back in like the '90s and like, you know, I was listening to, there you know ha- there was only a, a one morning radio show, like, and people fought for that morning radio show. Yeah, but like. And that's not the way it is anymore, you know. Like everybody just now likes what they like, mm-hmm. you know. So like Joe Rogan, his podcast isn't isn't battling Adam Carolla's podcast. Not at all. They're they're both huge podcasts, but they have they're not battling for the number one spot. They just have their own fan bases, and they mm-hmm. and people like what they like. And so like that's how I look at it now. We're not competing with anybody. People people love what they love. They're gonna listen to Animalistic, and then they're gonna listen to the new Panic at the Disco. Yeah. And, and that is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's totally cool because we're building something that's completely our own. And, and you can build something that's completely your own. And you don't have to worry about the charts or it's not doing as better as good as somebody else's. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter at the end of the day. At the end of the day, as long as you're satisfied with it and that you have people that love you and, and support what you're doing and you can keep satisfying your creative
6: you know, fire – that's all that matters, man. Literally, that's all that matters. And people feed into that, too. As long as you're passionate about what you're doing, that's where the real connection from people comes from. It doesn't matter if it's catchy or if it's popular or anything like that. It's just, if you believe in yourself, people can see that mm-hmm. and feel it. And, like, that's why we're, like, we're on stage, and you, you said it best the other day. You said, I'm up there, and I feel like I can't do anything wrong. Yeah. You know? And because like you feel you like said, when you're playing in front of people they're there for you. Yeah. They're there to support you. And then you, know? you feel like the crowd has got your back. You know, if you make a mistake, oh well, they're here to support you either way, yeah. right? And it's not scary anymore. It's now just yeah. the confidence to get out there and be like I'm ready to do this for everyone and they're they're emotionally they're at the same level as us. Like I want our fans to feel like they put the record out just as much as we did. You know? I want them to feel like they've been a part of it and they're the reason that we've been able to accomplish everything so far, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And you
6: guys do really seem to have like
0: a really good touch with your fan base. Like you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. where it's just looking at your social medias and everything, the way that you hype, even just singles where like there's pictures of every member and it's just the investment of time and energy And all that just to put it out and then also to engage with every single one of those fans and make them So kind of feel special because like to you you're just a musician and like you don't really realize Anything but to them like you're a touring musician and to them like they're just Joe Blow Schmo and it's just like to actually get that interaction from you is huge and only just makes them want to be more of a fan make them want to interact with you more and just tells them that you're real and Mm -hmm. in 2018 that's something that people kind of want out of their idols their celebrities their musicians the people that they're paying attention to because it's easy for everybody to be fake. Mm
4: -hmm.
5: I just want to touch on something here really quickly uh so since we announced the tour we've had fans messaging us and uh you know, tickets are about fifteen dollars across Canada, very reasonably priced, and um, a lot of fans will ask us, "Well, can I meet you at the show? Where's the VIP tickets? Like, where's that extra? Where can I pay that forty-five dollars to meet the face the guarantee?" And I kind of like said to him, "Like, we're not doing that. Like, like mm-hmm. if you're coming to the show, you're meeting all of us. Mm-hmm. Like, we're at, we're out there in front of the show." We're at the merch booth. I just think mm-hmm. it's wrong, especially for like the message that we have. Like, why would you charge somebody extra to meet you? Like, we're on the same level as them. Mm-hmm. We're only able to do this for a living and to live our dreams mm-hmm. because they're showing up, because yeah. they're interacting. So it's like, uh, you know, back in the day, or you know, there's some exceptions. If you're Taylor Swift and you're playing to seventy thousand people, well, yeah, there's no way you can meet everybody. So there is exceptions to that, but I think at the level we're at, or even the next five years or so, even if you're playing to a couple thousand, like, mm-hmm. I don't see any reason why that you can't go to the front after your show and just shake hands and thank everybody for coming to the show. Oh, and I that goes them. a long way because, it we're, we're because we're, we're, it's a team. We're mm-hmm. a team. Everybody's, we're a team right now, uh, we're helping your podcast, you're helping us, it's just, it's oh, a community, exactly. yeah.
0: It's helping build a scene outside of that, and it's yeah. helping build, like, the connection, it's helping your fans get to know you guys better, it's helping my audience get to know a new group, and also see their drive, their passions, and what they're doing, what they're mm-hmm. creating, what they're striving for, yeah
5: right yeah I want to I wouldn't ever want to put a price tag on our, our value of us meeting somebody you know like I just find that very strange mm-hmm. makes it seem like there's a hierarchy or something yeah. like that well
0: know? exactly and it's just who are you to say that you're worth X amount yeah to exactly bring that when you've already asked them to pay $15 just to come and watch you play yeah. on a stage yeah. and appreciate
5: your art Yeah. Yeah, that's something we strongly believe in. I bring it up a lot because I really believe in that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really hoping that, uh, well, I hope obviously we have a, the, uh, a lot of success like a Taylor Swift, but uh, I, would, I think we really want to fight that. That's not something that we want to get into yeah absolutely it's just more real like, i agree with yeah. that
0: 100 percent because like even when i used to tour it's like i would go out before we even played the set and i would go and shake people's hands and hey what's your name thanks for coming out we're the touring band really appreciate it like and then after the show like you just go up to those people again afterwards and if you even just remember their name or even the fact that like you just wanted to speak to them just makes a huge difference yeah,
5: we we just appreciate it. like like you'll see tonight. Like after we're on stage, we're saying yeah, we got a merch booth over to the side. We are all gonna be there. You know, some of the, Daniel normally goes first. Then we kind of take care of the gear and make sure everything's squared up. Well, absolutely. but uh, we'll we'll be down there the whole time, and uh, yeah, we love to meet the people that are coming to our shows and who make our dreams reality. Mm-hmm. Are you are you in a band?
0: Uh, not right now. Yeah. Not since I moved. No. What do you What do you play? Um, mostly bass, but I also play guitar.
3: Nice, cool. Mm-hmm. So you did some tours across Canada as uh, well?
0: Or? Mostly Western Canada. Nice. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm.
3: Really cool.
0: Basically, the point where you guys were at with your first EP, where like we were yeah. doing the Winnipeg to Vancouver run,
5: and then it's because the it drives so far from it's, Winnipeg to yes, Ontario, yes, or there's Thunder Bay, but it's
0: still crazy. And it's when you are a band, if you're at that point where you're only draw, drawing five people. You have to front that gas money yourself. And it's a lot. And it's a lot, especially, yeah. like, these days when gas is $1.30, $1.40. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. tough. So, I feel
5: you, man. And <laughs> it. it's, we,
0: we were on the verge of, like, breaking into the East Coast and starting to, like, break out into the States and everything. And then I think it was just patience and everything else just yeah. sort of took its toll. And of
5: course, man. It happens. Well, the, the good thing about the East Coast, though, is there's is such a big population change over there and everything's so close that when you do go over there, you can't play. get there. Well, mm-hmm. a lot of the bands on the East Coast mm-hmm. won't even come over to the West Coast. They're like, ah, no. screw it, we'll just stay over here. Because mm-hmm. you play, you know, Kingston, Hamilton, London, mm-hmm. Toronto, uh, like Ottawa, Oshawa, Montreal. Like, there's mm-hmm. so many places to play over there mm-hmm. within the driving span of maybe five hours. Yep. The closest place from Vancouver is... Unless you're going to Vancouver Island, is uh, I guess big city Mm -hmm. is Calgary, which is I think 10 hours away,
2: 11 hours away, or something like that. Yeah, something like that, and
5: that's
0: just it. Is it's huge, and I understand why it's why a lot of like bands from other places don't like to try and make the track across Canada, but it's it makes it difficult for a lot of bands in Canada to try and make that break, especially because there's that bridge in the gap where it's like you can get big on one coast, but. The entire other coast, like you could try and get booked on festivals, and they be like, "Well, do you have fans over here?"
1: Yeah,
5: yeah. And like, wow, we haven't had the opportunity. <laughs> I heard some invite. Uh, it wasn't a the guy just saying. It was like a panel at like a CMW or like a Music BC thing. Yeah. And it was a it was a booking agent. I think it was a guy from. I don't remember the guy's name from Feldman. He was pretty much saying, uh, "You know, if a band can make money in Canada touring across it, you can be a successful band." everywhere else touring Mm -hmm. just because of just the distance and how many shows you can play if you can do it here and the weather you you can do it anywhere else in the world Mm
0: -hmm. no absolutely and that's something that I believe too and that's why I'm trying to like help nurture the west coast like and help bridge that gap between the east coast is it's because if like that was something that existed back in the 90s whereas like there's a lot of bands that could survive in Canada alone
5: yeah, not so much anymore.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's just like, it, it's not that the population's changed. It's not that a lot of other things have changed. It's just like the industry's changed and like how you reach people and everything else has become different. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you guys, I still have a ton of questions left to ask, a bunch of things that we're going to get into. And of course, we've already talked about a ton of great topics like your new album Animalistic and how your drive and passion has allowed you guys to do things like be on billboards in New York City. That is crazy. Before we get back to more questions, though, I have to go ahead and take a moment to thank the fine Desert Tiger listeners who have gone ahead and grabbed themselves one of our traditional logo style desert tiger t-shirts thank you guys so so very much like i mentioned at the start of this episode and like pretty much every episode this podcast is like a hundred percent fan supported and without you guys i wouldn't be able to do this you are the lifeblood i am just completely operating it you guys allow me to do so much with desert tiger and i am extremely thankful for everyone that reaches out and tells me about their favorite parts of the interviews, everybody that follows me on social media, everybody that shares the episodes. You guys are amazing, and like I said, I just want to take a second to thank those who have taken that extra step to helping me take that next step with Desert Tiger, because when you buy one of those shirts, it goes straight into Desert Tiger. It goes right into my gas tank so that I can travel to get more interviews, It goes into better equipment so that we can bring you better episodes every single week. And I want to thank you, truly, from the bottom of my heart, those who are allowing me to push this dream even further. So before I go ahead and get too sappy on all of you, we should probably get back into our interview. And before we can go ahead and get back into my conversation with all the members of the face plants, We are going to have to take a moment to play another song off this amazing album that they just dropped, Animalistic. I hope that you guys are loving the sound on this one because I know that I am. So I hope you guys are ready for The World I Know. discussed a lot of the business side of yeah, things lately, so let's get back into the fun of things. Well, sure. That's fun, though, too. Well, it <laughs> yeah, is fun. It is you fun. can probably I, tell I, that we like the business side a lot. I, I love Talking yeah. Shop. I yeah. do. I do. So let's get a little bit into the influences. Let's yeah, get back into the younger days. Who were the oh. musicians that you couldn't live without in high school? Some of those classic gems that just happened to still... I think the best you way, yeah, I think the best way to do this Let's is, do probably, it all it's,
3: it's, it. yeah, all individually. So yes, I guess from it totally myself. Mm. From my, I I saw a, and I love this man. I love this story. It's like I saw a couple years ago that I think it was Vice or somebody put out uh, a piece on how the Tony first Tony oh, Hawk yeah, sound, yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. first Tony Hawk <laughs> soundtrack
3: influenced like a generation of kids. Absolutely. And so I grew up. I grew up just like skateboarding, playing Tony Hawk. And I, and I saw that and I was like, oh my God, like, that's why I love punk rock and old school hip hop. Like that's, that's, that's why I love it. And so I definitely grew up just loving the Ramones and Sex Pistols and, and social distortion, Goldfinger, Goldfinger, Dead Kennedys and Black Flag and stuff like that. And that, and, and because I was just skater kid and it was like that was the music i listened to to pump me up and get energized and just like you know it wasn't so it wasn't about the musicality back then it was just about the energy and like that's what punk is and that's why i still love it to this day it's still like my favorite style of music i'd say obviously punk like that that drew me to bands like no doubt and the police and stuff like that more Mm -hmm. musical stuff And, and that's how i you know i picked up the bass from there but definitely i grew up listening to punk rock and i think although our music isn't punk at all i like to bring that energy on stage and like when i perform i really like to 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 obviously we all do give it our all like our 100 percent every single show and i think the reason why is because of that influence in punk rock for me Mm -hmm. and it still holds true to this day for sure
0: yes and that's something that i feel is kind of missing in a lot of bands where it's like just stand there and this and it's like where's the energy where's the like if you can't move behind your music why should anybody else move behind your music
3: that's the point well it's like yeah it's like you hear i mean like obviously don't do this but like you hear stories of like sex pistols like breaking bottles on stage and cutting themselves and like that was their (laughs) version of a show and like putting on a show and Mm -hmm. and obviously we don't do that but we but we still hold true that we want to put on a show for people especially like especially if you no know, matter no matter how many people are there, five people are still going to play at like it was twenty thousand people, and mm-hmm. make sure that that person that's coming is getting their money's worth, and that making sure that they're satisfied with the whole show experience. For in the moment they walk in to like after meeting us at the merch table, we want to make it a, such a positive experience for that person, and, and give it our all, and like and that for me derives from that definite that definite punk rock punk rock spirit.
5: And it's really important uh, what you just said there, just to make sure every show you're giving her. Like you said, like we might be playing to a couple hundred people tonight, or you know, maybe we played to five people last night. Well, those five people, if you perform just as well as what you'd be doing to a crowd of two hundred, those five people are going to tell ten each of their friends, like that was the craziest thing I've ever seen. There was nobody there, but they were so good. Well, next time you come to town, there's going to be fifty people there. If you perform just as well there those 50 people are going to tell all 10 of their friends all of a sudden there's 500 people there yeah it's just a gradual build right like if if you just oh there's 5 people at the show who cares write it off Mm -hmm. let's just punch and punch out you know like a work shift it's not going to work people can see right through that
0: no exactly Mm -hmm. and that's another reason why you have to bring it right off the bat especially when you're doing those early tours and you have to be
6: patient exactly you have have to go for it right from the start it's a giant learning experience
5: it's a confidence thing yeah. too. It's you it's, you have to really believe in what for you're For me doing.
6: especially as a giant hurdle to get over playing shows to where there's more people on stage than there is in the crowd. It's so hard to get past that and right. think, Well there's one person them look it's the who's looking at me, you know, and then just thinking, Who cares? It's not practice, you're 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 in the moment. You're mm-hmm. you're somebody is here to watch you and it doesn't matter. You know, and it's that's it's humbling it's yeah it's, it's <laughs> literally that moment yeah. where it's like you go out for your first tour and you think, you think like a lot of people probably do like okay well we're going to have a good tour and it'll be a success and when it's not it's that sobering moment of like okay nobody cares about me I, I need to make sure that they do and then getting over the hurdle of who, okay there's nobody here except for these three people and thinking okay well exactly that these three people will tell ten of their friends yeah and and I wouldn't feel comfortable charging someone money to stand still and look bored and be disinterested with playing a show for them you know that's just not
3: and I think obviously like our first couple of tours there was no there was hardly anybody there playing for the bartender but I think and obviously we all had that mindset every everybody does of like oh there's nobody here we're going to phone it in but I think we are now getting a lot better at looking D- differentiating the micro from the macro. So, on the micro, yes, it sucks. It's like there's one person here, we we're spent all this money in gas. So, on the micro, it's an inconvenience. Yes. But people are, a lot of people don't look at the macro of it in the sense of like, not only are the, maybe that person's going to tell another person that's going to make your next tour better, mm-hmm. but people aren't looking at it being like, well, we're on tour right now. This is going to allow us to say on a factor grant, that we've been on tour, and we can write it down. That like in 2015 we were on tour, and it could just add to the branding of it. That's going to get us the next thing. So yes, I think there we have all of us get caught up in the day to day and the micro, and maybe how bad or good it is, but not think of the macro and what possibilities and and opportunities will come from that. And that's just off the top of the head, you know, like. Mm. Factor Grants and Grants they want to know how many times you tour and they don't ask how many people are at the shows they just want to know if you've toured and so I think we've really gotten better at making that differentiation between micro and macro and it's always about now the long game the long run where are we going to be next year what's the next thing on the horizon Mm -hmm. and I think once you make that switch you're not so let down on the micro day to day Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah man, I think we were talking about influences. Yes, Let's we continue. were.
2: Let's continue with influences. Um, <laughs> Do you want to go, Pedro? Um. Yep. For me, it was kind of uh, my main influences growing up at a young age were a little bit of a cliche story, just stumbling across my my dad's records and CDs and and getting info. It all started uh, with a general sense for classic rock and roll, the the Police, the Aerosmith, um, the Led Zeppelin, all that kind of stuff. But even as I that kinda like started my foundation for groove and melody and I just thought you know, even at when you're young you don't really know what you're doing but there's something going on and you really, really enjoy it. And then from then on I just my my plethora of, of what I like and listen to now is is just crazy. It you know, I turned to ace of bass to to anything I could really get my hands on that, that I that I found that drove me and I was banging on pots and pans as as a young kid growing up but um, it was any. I was never stuck in a in a category per se. Or, or uh, at that young age of growing up, I was just finding what I could relate to, what I could move to, and, and just generally like look, Huey Lewis and the News, anything I could put in a CD player and listen to. That's what I was doing. You know, there'd be some where I would press eject and take it out right away. But mm-hmm. but there there was a lot that that I would just I'd literally go through like boxes and boxes and just listen and listen and listen. And I just you know something about music, even when you're five, six, seven, you don't know what's going on, but you know that it's making you feel a certain way, and that you know this is when you're as a kid listening, looking at the Backstreet Boys on the TV or something. You're like, I don't know how or what, but that looks fun. Mm -hmm. It's mesmerizing. uh, I'd like to do that, not just for the sheer factor, but it looks like they're having fun, Mm -hmm. and it looks like those fans are having fun. I don't know how I'm going to be there being seven years old. But that's what I want to work towards, and it's just something that's always stuck with me throughout throughout my my life of growing up is just music, music. You know, as as other things come and go, music has always stayed there. And, and now we got to the story of of coming across these guys three years ago, and it's been well deadly. Yeah, that's why. You guys want to go. Oh.
6: Yeah. I thought we were going to go down the line, line. Yeah. whoa Daniel's well, We got, hair what kind of line exactly you were saying you want to go last but is that what you're telling me no I'll
5: go okay. um. <laughs> wow uh, I think it kind of all started when uh, my first record that I ever got was actually it's kind of funny it was from my grandpa I don't know if I don't know if it was on like a Throwback H M V like uh, like an end cap or something like that where it was like new releases but Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park <laughs> was the <laughs> first. Who <just>, <laughs> loves this? I love. It's the second it. reference yeah. in this yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I got to promote promo right. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but anyway, that's uh they they like changed it all for me. I was like I was like holy smokes, what is this? Then I kind of went into the Offspring. Uh, I had this record Splinter. What again? That was another thing. It kind of Going on the punk elements, kind of what Daniel was talking about. Then we went into like this crazy Green Day phase where we just want. Hey, Garrett when- and I, like
3: our stories, like basically sit real similar, like because mm-hmm. we've been together since we were like ele- like 11, 12. Yeah, and that's like- your formative years, you know.
5: Yeah, when Green Day blew up with American Idi- Idiot, it just like took over the world and it literally changed our life too. Like you know, what? like looking back, so many people were like, "Oh my God, I hate Green Day" or whatever, but it was just because they were so big. Mm-hmm. I listen to that record now, and I'm like. Holy smokes this is a good record like now that you have more insight of life and other records and you've made your own you think you go back and you're like this is a masterpiece dude well it's
0: a lot of people are mad because they weren't the same as who they were for the
5: years beforehand
0: yeah. but it's just it is it's they took a giant step there and they did something incredible
5: I don't even know how they did that man like Pretty I don't off. even know what happened mm-hmm I heard uh, this funny story that uh, I guess they're friends with. Uh, I can't remember what's the the lead singer of NoFX. What's his name? Fat Mike. Fat Mike. I heard that Mike Dirt, the bass player of Green Day, and Fat Mike, Fat Mike, was having a barbecue, and he came over there, and they were just making the record for American Idiot. Fat Mike was like, "So, uh, you know, like Mike, like w- like, what do you think the next record's gonna be? Or like, what do you guys want to do?" He's like, "Yeah, I think we're gonna start playing stadiums." And he's <laughs> like, "What do you mean?" He's like, yeah, we're going to make a really good record. Like, we're going to stadiums now. And he's like, you can't just say that. <laughs> Apparently it worked. I guess they were so confident and they... I don't know if it was them reaching for their goals, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, like, it worked out. But, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, there's even videos of them doing that in the, in the studio. And it's like, I don't know, you hear stories like that but about such confidence. Then, like, you see interview, interviews of them in the studio recording it. And, like, they have, like, no idea... Like, Billy Joel, the lead singer, is, like, questioning everything. He's like, oh, I don't know, this is going to be good, this is so different, like, who mm-hmm. you knows? Then they turned out to be the biggest band in the world and, like, changed a generation. Oh, yeah. without a doubt, voice. Yeah, exactly. Voice of <laughs> A Green Day household name. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, absolutely. I think for
6: me, it's... Both my, my mom and dad listened to a lot of music and very, very different types of music growing up. So it's already open to a huge range. The first one I remember hearing those. My dad always played his music loud. I remember hearing those. you put in Back in Black, and then you hear the bells from Hell's Bells right away, and it blew my mind as it kicks in. And like I listen to it now, and I don't get that feeling that you get when you're impressionable and everything. But it's at the time I was like, I didn't even know anybody could make sounds like what they were making, because you know, you're as a kid, all you hear is little Fisher Price toys. To go from that to this is like such a jarring switch and then listening to the this other side of things where my, my mom would listen to like singers like Andrea Bocelli but she'd also listen to Eurythmics and just tons of different things and she was a big Elton John fan mm-hmm. and realizing I'm listening to Elton John and saying like oh well that's a different sound from all this other guitar based stuff that my dad always shows me and then I started diving into wanting to learn piano because of that and then discovering bands like Queen who really can like change the envelope in terms of like adding vocals and having piano in the music, but then the most important part is not having it be the music. It's not a Billy Joel, it's not an Elton John, it's, it's an add-on to it, which is I, th- I think I like to play into my writing style as well. Is I don't I don't want to be a centerpiece, but I want to be noticed in a way that fits the music. And nowadays, I still, like the same as, as Patty is, I still have like a huge like bought in my heart for all, all of those songs but now I've, I've branched out into more nerdy stuff like um, like a snarky puppy or like a wolf pack or something like that like Chris was probably going to say the same thing I hope I didn't take it oh out from no, under you don't worry. but then um, <laughs> don't worry <laughs> but then and then like hearing more sounds and more organic noises from that and so I'm like okay well what's this what's organ and then learning what an organ is and learning about like gospel music and R&B and diving into like somebody like a John Bellion and discovering somebody who can take all of these influences like what I'm listening to and incorporate it all into one like masterpiece record is kind of what I strive to be and just saying like I can take every little bit of what I like to listen to but not emulate it and just morph it into my own. So it's very varied nowadays. Mm -hmm. I do know what I like and I do know what I don't like but... I'm pretty open-ended for the most part. Yeah,
4: yeah. so I guess that's it now me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Like, wake up. Uh, the, uh, uh, I think my very first early influence or at least the very first record that I remember or band was just The Who. Mm-hmm. Which for me was like, that, like I discovered that through my parents kind of like I think most kids do. Whatever your parents listen to, you end up listening it's to. Hot. It's too hot. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And yeah, like for me, like I remember hearing the, uh, the studio versions of the, the records and they sounded great, just like the sheer power, the energy to the songs and whatnot, but then I remember somebody showing me all the live records, and that's what really blew my mind, because all of a sudden you have a guy like John Entwistle who's playing pure pocket and serving a song in the studio, and then live, being literally one, like the number one bass player in rock music in my opinion. The Ox, like, John Knight was definitely one of my early inspirations. And just seeing, like, how so much the holistic approach to the creativity in the music. And also the sort of, um, one of the things like I love about The Who is how, like, each member had their own thing that they brought to the table, in the sense that if you go watch those old Bulug videos of The Who playing, it's like, the bass player doesn't move an inch. And his reason for that is because the guitar player and the singer were all over the stage. And it was kind of like what uh, Graham was saying, where it's like, you know, it's serving the song, serving the pr- serving the purpose, and, like, you don't have to be the forefront to make something amazing, you have to be part of the team. And I think that's, like, one of the, like, early lessons that I, like, learned from, like, listening to The Who, and then that kind of stuck with me throughout uh, all the other music I've studied and gotten nerdy with, and I'm just with uh, Graham over here with loving all the really nerdy stuff, like the Snarky Poppies and whatnot. But, um, yeah, at the end of the day, I think that, like, music comes down to the collaborative effort, not only among the musicians on stage or in the studio, but the opportunity to create a moment with the audience. Like, to me, music is, like, a two-way street of not only creating, but consuming, and so to to bring that on a real level in any front from the studio or live is, like, my favorite part and what... Might have started from the Who, and then of course, as a bass player, you have your flea phase, you have your yeah, whichever, and you go, you go through it. You're like crazy, whatever, like oh, i prime I gotta be the craziest bass. Mm-hmm. And then you end up like, oh man, like just playing quarter notes feels so good. It's just <laughs> just like, like you know what. Sometimes movement. holding the vibe <laughs> no, down, it's just
0: it just feels really nice. That's, yeah. what, that's what we're doing right now. Holding oh, the, yeah. <laughs> 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 hold the vibe. <laughs> All right, you guys. So before we end this off, where can the listeners find out more about you? And where can they possibly send you a paragraph if they want to? MySpace. My That's right. MySpace. Friend-
3: Friendster and MSN. <laughs> <laughs> LinkedIn. No, you could just – we're at The Face Plants on, on all social media. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at The Face Plants. And uh, YouTube.com slash at the faceplants and too. You'll see all the music videos. Spotify. Hit. And Spotify. Yeah. Apple also, Music.
2: All platforms. You can at the faceplants. Google everything okay. we have and everywhere we are. Yeah, we, we got them all early. <laughs> 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 nice. And if you want the
3: website, it's thefaceplants.com too. Okay. Absolutely.
0: All right. So last question before we end things off. We mentioned earlier that there's a meaning behind the three lines. Mm. Uh-oh.
6: Caught. Let's,
0: Let's get into it. it.
3: Oh, okay. Oh, uh, yeah. So the three-line logo, um, it's it really represents three distinct phases of Animalistic. You know, when I was writing the songs in Animalistic, I really wanted to not only, you know, write the most honest and true songs to myself that I could write, but also add on to that too, man. Like, really, really capture different feelings of the record too. And the best way to do that was to write piano bits. I felt to really set a tone for the record, and so we've been running with the three-line logo for for quite a amount of years now, mm-hmm. ever since Animalistic began. Mm-hmm. But I love that kind of stuff. I love that kind of foreshadowing of like now the record's out years later, and people can either put that together and mm-hmm. figure it out, or they don't. Yeah. You know, to and and I think that speaks to our real attention to detail too. You know, and and it's those little things. Even how we wrote the track listing on Spotify and Apple Music and that kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. on the record, every detail is important and it's little kind of nuggets and little, little, little things that people can put together. Uh, on their own time. And if they do, that's amazing and they got it. And if they don't, and they want to consume the music in a different way, that's awesome too. But that was the, the three line logo that we premiered years ago. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, it's exclusive to Animalistic and it represents okay. the three different vibes of the beginning, the middle, and end of the record. Fantastic. Oh, fantastic. I love it.
5: The journey. The
3: journey. (laughs) Thanks for having us, bro. Alright, thank Thank you you so much. So much for joining me. We'll see you tonight.
0: Yes, sounds
3: good. Peace and love. Thank you.
0: right, DTP fam, I want everybody to go ahead and give all the members of the Face Plants a huge desert tiger. Thank you for being on this episode of the show and giving us all the details on the band and who they are as individuals. I am looking extremely forward to their next debut album because you absolutely know I am going to get these driven, motivated individuals inside. I'm already excited to hear what the next album sounds like. If you haven't heard Animalistic, what are you waiting for? get your hands on this it is available pretty much everywhere that you can get music if you want a physical copy of course go ahead and hit up the boys they already told you where you can find it they already told you where you can find them what are you waiting for so now that we thanked them we got to go ahead and thank you guys The Desert Tiger Podcast listeners for once again tuning in like you always do. I want to go ahead and thank those people who have already hit the follow and subscribe button. I want to go ahead and thank the people who are going to share this episode with their friends because they loved it. To everybody who's ever shared an episode of this podcast, told their friend about this podcast or anything. Thank you guys so freaking much. So, as you guys can tell, I'm excited about the future of Desert Tiger. We have some of the titans of Canadian classic rock coming up. I'm going to be going to all sorts of different music conferences, conventions, all sorts of things. So, lots of exciting interviews on the way, lots of new and exciting guests. The future has lots in store for the Desert Tiger podcast. And I hope that you guys are along for the ride. So I hope that you guys have yourselves a fantastic weekend, fantastic day, whatever day of the week that you listen to the podcast. I hope that you are out there killing your thing. And I hope that you are creating your own individual and defining yourself for you. Because what is more beautiful than that? Bye, everybody. See you next week.